Oh, there we go. All right. <laughs> Recording in my kitchen sucks. <laughs> At least now I have feedback to know if my mic's not working. I could have gone for a whole half hour. Man, for 553 days, I worked at home in my office slash bedroom and then would come downstairs Thursdays to pre-record the message. Then I would take it back up to my office slash bedroom where I would then edit it and put it all together and then send it off and, and get it all set to be scheduled. And then on Saturday, we'd tune in on the laptop or our phones or Apple TV and we, we'd watch the service with our kids. And then finally... The service would end, and we would turn off the screens and start getting our kids ready for bed. And I can't be the only one who hates seeing myself on video or hearing my voice. So by the time the service was over, I, I was sick of me. I, I couldn't take it anymore. It was a long year. And while we did have a few outdoor services and Zoom get-togethers for Christmas Eve and Good Friday and Easter, overall, it was a really isolating experience. However, my favorite, the highlight, was our Advent series. I found that the most engaging. And what we had done is we had, we had made these Advent boards that we delivered to the homes of the church families connected with us. And we had different families that are part of the church, and their kids would do the, the Advent reading and light the candle. And even though we were all watching it at different times, what I loved about it is that it was this act that we were doing in lighting the candle, and I knew other people were participating in it as well as we were looking forward to the coming of Jesus. But what was hard is that those experiences were few and far between because they took a lot of effort to pull off, and even if we had something like that for a year and a half, it would eventually become rote and mechanical and just something we did anyways. I finally had to come to the hard realization that we, the Well Community Church, had become a podcast ministry. That was a tough one to swallow because all of a sudden, I'd, I'd be talking with people, and, and I wasn't keeping tabs on you. So if you shared, I would just took it as put it in the back of my mind. Like, oh, interesting. And I know some people would almost make like a date night of it the next week, and they'd listen to it. Other people would watch it on Saturdays at 8 once their kids went to bed. Um, even Amanda and I, it, sometimes we weren't always right there at 5 when it would air, but I kind of had the inside scoop on the message, so I didn't feel as bad. <laughs> except for the time, I probably shouldn't even admit it, but I was golfing on a Saturday at five. <laughs> and someone asked me, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor, where? Here in Binbrook, when do you guys meet? Saturdays at five. And he like looks at his watch and he's like, isn't that now? I'm like, it's pre-recorded. This is the only time I can get away with it. But don't get me wrong, even though we had become a podcast ministry, we were still doing ministry. We are still making Jesus known so that lives and communities will be transformed. And I heard from many of you stories of how Jesus was working in your life. And I heard from families and individuals in our community how Jesus was transforming marriages and parenting and just their relationships. And it wasn't all easy. It was quite messy. But if there's anything we've learned from this last year and a half, it's that we are created for relationship. We're hardwired to be together, to be connected. 
And COVID has put us to the test on this. It's put us through the ringer. It's pushed us to, to limits we never would have imagined possible before COVID. But what I love is the technology that we have that allowed us to stay connected, that allowed us to grow and be discipled and to, to realize that we aren't in this alone. We're in this together, but it looks different. But right now, we're gathered in person, but we're also gathered online to fix our eyes upon Jesus, to worship him together. And I say, and online, because you, watching online, are part of this church family. You are gathered with us as well. And I think that's the hardest thing to get our heads around because sometimes I'm like, oh man, I miss seeing certain families and their kids running around. But you're with us. We are in this together. We're called to come together in worship and in serving and in giving in order to make Jesus known so that he will continue to transform lives and communities. And sometimes it's so easy to rattle that mission statement off, making Jesus known, seeing lives change, transforming our community, and think of other people. But God's at work transforming our lives and using us to transform our community. So tonight we're continuing our series, Rebuild, the Nehemiah Blueprint. And tonight's message is called Come Together. Whether it's in person or online, we are called to come together. So a quick recap from two weeks ago now is we looked at first things first. And we saw how when Nehemiah got word that Jerusalem was in bad shape, that his people, God's people were in disgrace, the first thing he did was he prayed. And it said that he prayed for some days, which we discovered was actually four to six months. But he confronted his problems with prayer. And I've been challenged for the last two weeks since then to actually to confront my problems with prayer. There was one day that I was talking about some stuff, and I'm like, I'm so torn. And my wife's like, well, have you prayed about it? And I'm kind of like, ooh, um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to. She's like, I think you should start there. The reason prayer was Nehemiah's go-to was that he knew God is faithful to his promises. He could trust God based on God's past record. So if you have your Bibles with you tonight, we're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapters 2 to 3. And throughout the message tonight, I'm going to ask that you pray. And not that I'll be done quickly or that you won't fall asleep, but that you'll actually pray and ask God, what do I need to hear from you tonight? Where do I need to be encouraged? Where do I need to be challenged? Where do I need to be moved or inspired? Because when I say that we're created for relationship and connectivity, absolutely I mean with one another, but most importantly, with God, our creator. Life with God is what brings joy. He's created us to love him, to love others, to love life. So it just makes sense that life with him is what would bring joy. And if life with Christ isn't producing joy, then maybe check in on that relationship. I've had some great conversations with people lately about the joy that life in Christ produces. And I've often realized when I'm going through seasons where I'm just not experiencing joy, I'm often not experiencing Jesus, 
and I'm close to him. So let's dig into Nehemiah, though, and hear what God wants to speak to us through this book. So we're going to be starting in chapter 2, and I'm going to be flying a little bit higher than going right into every single verse. So you can breathe easy on that. But at this point, Nehemiah has been praying for four to six months about what to do upon hearing this news. And he's trusting in God's faithfulness. So then starting in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine, because remember, he's a taste tester or poison checker, and he gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad? Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. We're talking about heart pounding in his chest. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, let's pause here for a minute because this response is brilliant. Because Nehemiah is deathly afraid of what he's about to ask here. Because essentially, if the king doesn't like his idea, he's going to be put to death. This is a life and death decision. He's not just hoping the king's going to like him. But what does Nehemiah do? He doesn't make it about politics, he makes it personal. You see, the king was behind some of the destruction and the prevention of rebuilding before. There were some government policies. So by asking the king this favor, he's actually asking the king to actually revise or reverse some of his policies. So Nehemiah doesn't make it about the politics, though. Instead, he shares his own heart, and that's what's brilliant. And then the king asked me, what is your request? So I prayed to the God of the heavens and answered the king. If this pleases the king and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried so that I may rebuild it. Nehemiah once again prays. I absolutely love this because it's almost like we're involved in this conversation as he's requesting from the king this huge ask, he kind of gasps this prayer and we're kind of left holding our breath as to what's going to happen. But what I love even more is how he prays. It says that he prayed to God and answered the king, like all in one swoop. It's not like he went off and huddled and prayed about it some more. He has been praying for four to six months. But then when the king says, what do you want? He prays and asks the king in this simultaneous act, which was birthed out of his prayer life. You see, it was his persistent prayer life that produced the courage and the boldness and even gave him the wisdom into how to approach the king. So can you guess what happened next? The king agreed. Not only did the king agree to send his cupbearer back to Jerusalem, to rebuild it, but he also gave letters allowing safe passage through the various regions he needed to travel through. He gave him a letter giving him fresh timber from the forest for the necessary materials to rebuild. And Nehemiah concludes in verse 8, and because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. 
Nehemiah had prayed. He had faith. He had begun seeing a vision of what needed to be done. And he had the boldness and the courage to ask the king. But the decisive factor that Nehemiah makes clear was not his faith, but the object of his faith. God, my God, he says, his gracious hand was upon me. This is how things get done. The late Billy Graham, a world-renowned evangelist, was once asked, if you could do things over again, would you do it differently? And he replied, I'd spend more time in meditation and prayer. Wow, this guy reached millions sharing the gospel of Jesus. And when he asked, what would you change? I would spend more time in prayer. He actually went on and said, and telling the Lord how much I love him and how much I enjoy him. So do you love the Lord? Do you enjoy him, spending time with him? Let me just put it out there that if you want to fall deeper in love, if you want to enjoy him more, spend time with him in prayer. Now I'm going to jump to the second half of chapter 2. Nehemiah is on his way and preparing to rebuild the walls. So he sets out to do some reconnaissance and get a lay of the land. And while he's doing this, he doesn't really tell anyone what he's doing or what's going on. He holds his cards close. But here's what's interesting if you skim verses, say, 11 to 17. There are a lot of I statements. Verse 11, I arrived. Verse 12, I got up. I didn't tell anyone what God laid on my heart to do. Verse 13, I went out. I inspected. Verse 14, I went on. Verse 15, I went up. I entered. Verse 16, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. Verse 17, so I said to them. Now we're starting to shift to to this plural. And it's here that he finally reveals what he's doing. He's letting people in on what's been going on between him and God. And Nehemiah would say, he's not just letting people in on what he's doing, but he's letting people in on what God is doing. Because again, it was God's gracious hand that has been on him. So after all of these I statements, in verse 17, he finally shares his heart to them along with an invitation. And I love the reply from those who had come together to hear him. They responded to Nehemiah by saying, let us start rebuilding. And their hands were strengthened to do this good work. I love the contrast between these verses because there's, you have this I, 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 and then you have this kind of conclusion of saying, let us come together and do this. And that's what's been happening here at the well. This church started as a crazy idea in the heart of Amanda and I. We had a small group going in Chris and Alex's home, and it was connected with another church. And Amanda's like, man, I would love to live in Binbrook. And I'm like, yeah, right. We'll never be able to afford it. And here we are. (laughs) One thing after another, God just kept opening doors. And Chris and Alex caught on to the crazy idea. And they're like, hey, 
we want in on this. And Eugene and Rona jumped in on it. And they're like, yeah, let's do this. And one by one, people kept showing up. You kept showing up. And we're looking to God saying, okay, God, you are at work here. You are doing something. Let us do this together. But again, we have to remember, it's not just because of my faithfulness or your faithfulness. What's happening here is dependent upon the object of our faith. God, my God, God, our God, the creator and the sustainer of the universe who has created us to be in relationship. It's him that is holding all things together and that is bringing all things together and working all things together for his glory. So now I want to jump into chapter 3. And again, if you have your Bible on your lap or your phone and you're skimming through it, you're probably going to see a lot of unfamiliar names and places, and it probably looks a bit dry. And it is. I read it several times. But chapter 3 is a catalog of largely forgotten names and places. But what I want to draw your attention to tonight isn't to the individual words or verses or sentences with the intricate details of the rebuilding, which is fascinating if you settle into it for a while. But what I want us to do tonight is I want to invite you to fly higher and look at the chapter as a whole from a different perspective, from a much larger perspective. And what I want you to see is the number of people who came together to bring about what God was doing. So I actually prepared a slide in which I've pulled out all of the names and places that I could find in this chapter to help us visualize the awesomeness of people coming together. So a lot of the larger words are the places of Jerusalem that they worked on, and some of the smaller ones are the names of people who came together. And I love seeing it this way because it's just kind of a whole mishmash, but you realize it's not just Nehemiah any longer saying, hey, I need to do this. It's people coming around saying, let us do this together. And what's even more amazing is that as everyone comes together to help restore the dignity of God's people, they don't yet realize that in doing so, they're about to be transformed themselves. Because as I mentioned two weeks ago, Nehemiah realizes that more than just the city's walls that need to be rebuilt, the broken walls needed to be met by broken hearts. It was about restoring God's people to God. So looking at chapter 3 from this higher altitude, I want to make two observations. And the first is that chapter 3 reveals Nehemiah's extraordinary gift of administration and organization. Like, man, that guy would be a phenomenal accountant. <laughs> I took business accounting before going into ministry, and I kind of love the administrative side of things. <laughs> but he was able to mobilize and empower 44 separate groups of people for the creative task of rebuilding the walls. This no doubt came about because of his careful assessment through that moonlit reconnaissance. But secondly, and this is what I want to settle in on here, is that this passage shows us how people coming together can accomplish more than if just one person tried to do all the work. 
So here's an exercise I'll actually give you for this week. It's to go through chapter three of Nehemiah and underline in your Bible every time you see the following phrases, next to him, next to them, after him, and after them. Because it would have these names and it would say that that person was working next to him. And then that person would pick up after them. And it just showed everyone kind of bringing it together and working in their own element and skill set to pull off something that Nehemiah could only dream of. But the biblical principle that comes out of chapter three is this. Every person is to be involved in ministry because everyone has a job to do. If God's work is going to get done, we're called to come together and cooperate with one another, not to compare or criticize, but to move the mission of Jesus forward. I recently came across a great clip on Facebook from Pastor Mark Clark, a pastor out in BC, who helped explain what's been happening to the human heart during this period of COVID and online ministry. They're a church of about 5,000 people, so he uh, has a bit more understanding on what's been going on. But it's very natural, but we need to fight it a little bit. So sociologists call it the grave digger effect. And it's simply this, that we've served you the best we can, we've used technology, we've sat in our kitchens and living rooms to record weekly messages and worship sets, and we've done all of this stuff to make sure that during COVID you could stay connected and still be discipled and grow closer to Jesus. But now here's what happens. We've gotten into pajama rhythm. And we like sitting in our PJs and drinking our coffee from the comfort of our own homes and couches. And doing church this way means you don't have to shower, you don't have to go out and get in your car and actually drive and serve. So it's all become part of our new rhythm. But now it's like, huh, maybe this isn't something I need to do any longer. Maybe I don't need to serve. Maybe I don't need to be present but that's where we need you to fight it a little bit because we actually do need people serving. We actually do need all of us coming together to be able to reach more people with the good news of Jesus. We've served you well, we've loved you well. So please don't make us turn off all the lights and cameras because we actually need people to serve in our physical location so that people can actually be reached for Jesus. Families, kids, people of all ages and stages in life. Now, please hear me if you're watching online. I wrestled with how to frame this because I'm not trying to call you out. I understand why many of you have chosen to stay home right now, and I respect that. Many of us have had conversations about why you're choosing to do so. What I'm trying to say is I'm trying to call all of us out and challenge that part of us that has kind of crept in and thinks, this is pretty nice and convenient, not having to be present or serve anymore. But you see, serving is a requirement of discipleship. Serving is the heart and spirit of Jesus. And there's serving opportunities present in the building, there's serving opportunities online that you can help us engage with more people in the community. 
So please, all of us, let's fight the urge to sit back and let others serve, and let's come together so that people in our community can be reached for Jesus. I sent out our weekly email yesterday, and in it, I included the link to our new tab on our web page called Next Steps, and that's something I've been wanting to do for so long. And it's simply the wellbenbrook.com slash next steps, and it includes starting a relationship with Jesus, baptisms, family dedications, joining, hosting a small group, joining a serve team. And I highlighted a few of the greatest needs right now, which is the tech team, because Trevor's over there juggling twins in each arm, Brian's kind of covering for him, and uh, <laughs> it's phenomenal. But I also want to give Trevor a break. Uh, the, the setup and teardown team. I was in here this morning at about 9 a.m., and what I was doing was timing uh, the different components of setting up lights and chairs and the sound and video. And the, and the amazing thing was it didn't take me that long but then I'm like, as I broke it down, I'm like, well, if there are two of us, it would cut that in half. And then if there are three of us and four of us, my word, it would get done so fast. So go home, check out the website, next steps. Make sure that you're reading the emails because we'll give you links in order to serve because we need you to do that. And another essential ministry is prayer ministry. We meet bi-weekly, Tuesday mornings at 7.30. I know that's kind of early for some of you, but it's a way that we can just lift up our church family in prayer. Rona's been doing a phenomenal job leading that. Serving is the heart and spirit of Jesus, and it's a requirement of discipleship. And this actually brings us to one last principle that we learned from Nehemiah. Serving is not about us, but it's about moving forward the mission of God. All of Nehemiah's efforts to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem were created and centered around God and his people. It's not Nehemiah-centric. It's mission-focused. And we, too, must come together in prayer and in service around the person of Jesus. It breaks my heart when we can't put our differences aside and focus on and hear from Jesus. I'm sure I'm not the only one having conversations lately, and you just realize how divisive our culture and our society is right now. This last Monday, we had an election, and if you live right in Binbrook here, this might have even been one of your voting stations. And I think we can all agree that we're living in this very divisive time. But regardless of who you voted for, please don't let political views divide us. Instead, let our differences make us stronger. Nehemiah reminds us that we need to keep coming back to the table and centering ourselves around God, around the person of Jesus, allowing him to work in and through our differences to bring about a new creative expression of his glory in our midst. As a citizen of Canada, I voted. But don't confuse my Canadian citizenship with my heavenly citizenship. Or don't confuse my Canadian citizenship with me as a preacher of the gospel. Because as a preacher of the gospel, I proclaim Jesus. I'm not here to preach red, blue, green, purple, orange, whatever colors out there. You might hear a comment that's like, oh, that seems kind of red, but I'm a blue. Well, you might hear comments that are blue and you're kind of red or whatever. I'm here to preach Jesus and Jesus alone. 
And what I want to do is continue coming back to the person of Jesus and saying, how can we lean into one another? Differences in all, different perspectives and views, but how can we focus our attention on Jesus? And how can we follow him better? So when we come together in worship and prayer and service, we come together around the person of Jesus. So church, in order to love and reach our city with all of the complexities, we need to come together around Jesus. So I want to close with the prayer of our, our denomination, the Alliance Canada. And I'll read it through once, and then I'll invite you to pray it with me the second time. It says this, O oh God, with all our hearts, we long for you. Come, transform us to be Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, mission-focused people, multiplying disciples everywhere. So I invite you to read it with me or pray it in your heart. Oh God, with all our hearts, we long for you. Come transform us to be Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, mission-focused people, multiplying disciples everywhere. So at this time, as we put first things first, and as we come together around the person of Jesus, I want to invite you to participate in communion. For those of you worshiping with us here in person, there should be a cup of grape juice on your seat, along with a prepackaged wafer on top of the cup. And during our next song, whenever you feel ready, simply take out the wafer and as you eat it, remember that this is Christ's body given for you. And then open the cup as you drink it. Remember that this is the new covenant made in the blood of Christ. Do this in remembrance of him. Amen.